All right, Two Cities Church, today we begin a brand new series, but before we do, we need to celebrate what happened on Monday night. We had an incredible prayer night. Clap if you were there. Yes. Guys, listen, it's okay. I know you can't make everything. We got busy schedules and all that, but if you missed it, you missed it. I mean, it was, we had almost 1,400 people in this room. This room can only seat 1,300. So it was insane, guys. Afterwards, there was this lady in her 70s. She didn't say this to me, but she said this to one of our staff. She said, that was one of the top three experiences of my life. I know that's what we said. We're like, are you sure? I mean, you've lived a long time. Guys, it was an incredible time. It just, it told us that, that God's on the move and that you guys are uniquely hungry. And so we're gonna be doing another one of those in June and another one of those in November. We're very excited. But two other things before we get to the book of Habakkuk. The first is with this series, we're launching a brand new podcast. You can get it where you can get our podcast or our, our YouTube. So I've never said this from stage before, but could you subscribe please? Okay, <laughs> make it a little bit easier for us to get content to you guys. Um, Here's what we're gonna do. We're, we're starting this podcast for a couple reasons. It's gonna help us dive deeper into the themes and topics in these sermons. And believe me, this is gonna be some deep stuff today in this coming weeks. Uh, secondly, as we grow larger, we're figuring out how are ways that we continue to feel smaller. I'm gonna be on this podcast. You guys are gonna get to know me and some of our staff better through that. It's really a way to give you guys relationships and resources to help you go further faster. Uh, but finally, before we get to our series, uh, in three weeks from today, so you wanna mark your calendars and be here, Lee Strobel is gonna be preaching here. And Lee Strobel is a New York Times best-selling author. And in a momentary lapse of judgment, he agreed to speak here. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Guys, let me show you. He's gonna be talking about this topic, Is God Real? It's a new book he wrote. At, listen, this is the week before Easter. What a great time. We never wanna be the church that says, please bring your friends. We wanna just create a church you go, I wanna bring my friends. But, but what a unique moment to have somebody. He's a former atheist turned Christian. Uh, he, was, he was working for the Chicago Tribune. He tried to disprove Christianity, ended up becoming a Christian. Some call him a modern day C.S. Lewis, and he's gonna be here. So let's just take a moment, pray, and then uh, that might give you guys enough time to try, during my prayer, you try to find the book of Habakkuk. Okay, let's do that. Lord, I, I thank you for our church. We love our church. Thank you for new opportunities and new technology, even uh, just opportunities to, to use a podcast and a YouTube channel to hopefully get the gospel and biblical teaching to more people and to do online ministry to people. And so we pray for that. We pray, thank you for Lee Strobel. What a, what a blessing and honor. And it's very exciting to have someone of his stature to come and bring God's word to us. And so we just we pray that as we head into a, the spring, as we can feel it outside, everything's changing, uh, that we would continue to invite people who are far from God and close to us to come and see. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, well, we're in a brand new series called When in Doubt. Okay, you gotta find the book of Habakkuk, okay? It is the, if you go to your New Testament, if you got one of those real Codex Bibles, just go back five books. It's a very, very small book. It's called Habakkuk. Now, I may occasionally say Habakkuk, okay? And the reason is because it actually can be pronounced Habakkuk or Habakkuk. In fact, everywhere in the world, it's pronounced Habakkuk, except in America, we say Hab uh, Habakkuk, which makes you think, how could everyone all over the world be wrong? You know, isn't just, that's okay. Um, so guys, we're gonna be in uh, Habakkuk. He's an interesting character. We'll meet him in a few minutes, but we call this series When in Doubt because the question is not if you're gonna have doubts, but when you're gonna have doubts. That doubt, here, I wanna put you at ease. That's what we're gonna do in this series. Because doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. But doubt is often an element of faith, and often you, 
If you really believe, you're gonna have some doubts at times because here's what's gonna happen. We'll get here today. Your reality is gonna feel very different than God's revelation, right? We're gonna see today, basically, Habakkuk's gonna go, God, you said this. Do you remember saying that? Because look at, what, look at my life, it looks very different. Or look at our culture, or look at our politics, or look at our church, it's very different. The question in this series is going to be, what are you going to do with your doubts? What direction are you going to head in with your doubts? Are you gonna take your doubts and walk away from God, or take your doubts and walk into a deeper relationship with God? What Habakkuk does today is take his doubts and walk in the direction of God. Uh, we gave you a little card, okay? Uh, this card, when you got in, uh, you don't have to grab it now because we're gonna come to it at the end, but here's what I want you to know. I'm just declaring this to us. We are going to trust God together. And we gave you that card because we want you to write something down. You be thinking about it. I'm gonna give you a chance at the end. Is there a place you need to trust God in your life? Or, and not for you maybe, for somebody that you love, right? Because we're only as happy as our least happy kid. So, so I don't know where it is for you. Some of you may go, I need to trust God for healing. I need to trust God financially. I need to trust God in my marriage. I need to trust God with my son or my daughter. We're gonna, we're gonna pray with you at the end. Because we're, here's the thing about community, right? Community makes the bad times half as bad and the good times twice as good. And so if you'll turn to, hopefully you found it by now, Habakkuk. Let, let's talk about this first verse here. Follow me. Habakkuk 1, verse 1. We'll spend a little bit of time on this one. The oracle, it's like, that sounds like something out of Harry Potter, right? The oracle, whatever that means, we'll talk about that. That Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, if you want to sound smart, the prophet saw. So here's the cool thing. An oracle is a burden. That's what it is. It basically, you're going to see this in a few minutes, but Habakkuk basically starts out yelling at God. That's, what, that's gonna be verse two, we'll get there in a second. But he's basically, it starts out going, I have this burden. So a burden, or, or you can think something that bothers you. And, and all of us have different things that we're burdened by. You know, yeah, that's the thing. And as I get to know people doing ministry, you know, you meet somebody and ostensibly you're like, well, they look like their whole life is together. And then you have like one lunch with them and you realize, oh my goodness. They're, they're heartbroken over this, or I had no idea that they were taking care of their parents. Or people have stuff all the time. And whenever you, your burden is your problem, right? And sometimes we have burdens together, but a lot of times like, you've got a burden. You've got something that bothers you. And so Habakkuk's, what Habakkuk's gonna do, and here's one of the, maybe the first principles, we're gonna talk about wrestling with God, okay? One of the principles of wrestling with God is you transfer the burden to God in prayer. That's what you do. And sometimes you have to, you have to pray with someone else. You gotta go, I'm so burdened for my son right now. And you just, and what you do with that person, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna get transferred to God. Because 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Now, <clears throat> Habakkuk, the word means wrestle. That's what his name means. It means wrestle. It's kind of a complex word. It means wrestle or it means cling or it means embrace. So what, what I'm asking you to do, what I'm challenging you to do in this series is to wrestle with God. Now, here's the truth. Let me just make it easy on all of us. Everybody wrestles with God. Everybody does. And you might go, which would be a fair question. Well, Kyle, what about atheists? They wrestle with God more than anyone. Have you ever met an atheist? They're so angry at the God they don't believe exists. I'm not mad at Santa. <laughs> Something to think about. <sighs> Jacob was the first to wrestle with God. Jacob is this guy in the Old Testament, and he ends up wrestling with God. It's this kind of strange, interesting story. And at the end, 
God gives him a new name, and the name he gives him is Israel. Israel literally means those who wrestle with God. So I want to normalize the experience of wrestling with God. This is what Habakkuk does. Now, Habakkuk is human. What we're going to learn about Habakkuk is a lot of times we think about these prophets, right? And do you, I think of like a guy standing on like the top of a building with his cape waving, you know? But what we're going to see is Habakkuk is human. You, you're going to read Habakkuk today and you're going to go, I think this guy's, I think this guy's depressed. <laughs> I think he's anxious. He's certainly angry. He's very frustrated. See, Habakkuk was a prophet. It's hard to be a prophet, by the way. There, in the Old Testament, there were three offices, the kings, and that was cool because you got to lead God's people, and the priests, and that was cool because you got to minister to God's people. But the prophet's like the strange guy who comes out of nowhere and yells at people. And the prophet is the truth teller, and the prophet always gets the prophet's reward, which is rejection. What happens oftentimes is, is this is like the story of the Old Testament. Prophet rises up, tells people things they don't want to know. They kill him. Then 50 years later, they realize he was right and they build a monument to him. That's, that's what happens with prophets. And so <clears throat> Habakkuk says, I'm this prophet, but this is what's interesting. In all the other prophetic books, by the way, Habakkuk is a minor prophet. It doesn't mean it's unimportant. It means it's a smaller book. There's 12 of them at the very end of your Old Testament. Habakkuk does something different than anybody else. All the other prophets, they have messages for people. So they come, and you, sometimes it's one person, and that's kind of scary. It's like, go tell king so-and-so. You're like, oh, no, not him. A lot of times they have to tell a message to a whole people. What's unique about Habakkuk is Habakkuk has a message from the people to God. Basically, guys, you're going to see this in a few minutes. He's going to just yell at God about the condition of his life and the world and his nation. And then God's going to respond, and he's going to respond. In fact, what you could think of is this is about as close as we have to a journal entry of a prophet. He's just journaling. Uh, let me show you what he says. Here, fo follow me. Verse two, we're gonna, we gotta get into this. There's a lot to talk about here. He says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Okay, we're gonna talk. Here's what we're doing for the rest of the time. I want us to learn how to lament. We're not good at lamenting. Here's what lament is. Lament is, well, first of all, there's a book in your Old Testament called Lamentations, uh, a third of the Psalms, so there's 150 Psalms, 50 of those are laments. Think sad songs, that's what they are. Sad prayers. Here's what a lament is. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust in God. That's the definition of a lament. And here's the problem with us, guys. We're not good, Americans especially, men especially, especially, we're not good with dealing with bad news or negative emotions. We're pretty good. We're actually not too bad when good things happen. We're like, all right, hold on. What filter am I putting this on as I kind of put this on social media? Okay, hold on. And then we tell people, and if you're extroverted, it's like the first thing. You're like, you'll never, I got the job. I got the promotion. She said yes. We're pregnant, right? We're really good with positive emotion. But let's just be honest. Like most of us have no idea how to deal with negative emotion. When something bad happens, right? I've told you before, we've had horrible things happen to people, kids, you know, like and they won't tell anyone for like a month or two. It's like, I just I don't even know, I had to process it, right? This is why whenever someone gets engaged, it's like it's on Instagram and Twitter, it's all over, right? And when someone gets separated, you hear about it, you're like, are they getting, and then you go, honey, well, go, go check their Facebook profile. Interesting, they've got rid of all their pictures of each other and their Facebook profile picture is a picture of them and the kids. Right, what's going on there? And they didn't tell, they didn't tell anyone about this. The first thing Habakkuk does, 
is he prays to God, and it says, it says he cries out. Do you see that? There's the word cry twice. It's, it's the same. The English word's the same there, cry, cry. But the Hebrew word is different. The first cry means like a general call for help. The second cry literally means to scream. Here's what I think of. I think of the, the image in my mind is Habakkuk is honking the car horn as loud as he can because he feels like nobody's moving and nothing is happening. See, religious people feel very uncomfortable with screaming and crying and yelling at God because they have to act like their whole life is together. See, here's what happens. When you have horrible things happen to you and you need to process them and you've got all these negative emotions, there really is, at the end of the day, three options. You can suppress it. I wouldn't recommend that. Freud, not a Christian, but interesting, Sigmund Freud, one of the great psycho, uh, psychoanalysts, he believed most mental illness was connected to suppression. That was what he found in his studies. You do not want to start suppressing things. Well, the other thing is express it, <laughs> right? It's like, well, a lot of people can't handle it. They can't handle all of, you know, your anger or whatever. But what you can do instead of suppress it or express it to others, you can confess it to God. God can be your lightning rod. He can handle it. By the way, you know your Habakkuk. Here's how, because by the way, this is, I say this every time I talk about a sermon on suffering. For some of you, this is a, suffer, or a sermon for today, and you know that. Like, if it's for you today, you know it. You're like, oh my gosh, right? I mean, I had a couple people after last service. This is, here's what's going on in my life. This is for me today. But for most of us, this is a sermon for tomorrow. But there will be a day that you're Habakkuk. And here, let me give you the, because this, this, is, this is how you know you're Habakkuk. You have more questions than answers. And I don't want this to happen to any of us. But some of us one day might be sitting in divorce court. You're like, dude, how did I get here? What does this mean? And what does this mean for my future? And what does this mean for my kids? You get like the horrible diagnosis, right, that you think no, you know, people get but you don't get, you know, and it's like, what is it? How much longer do I have? Do I have enough life insurance? I, I'm ready to meet Jesus, but, what's, but I, my, my kids are too young. You'll start to ask all these questions. And the first question that everybody asks outside of why me, that's, that's assumed here, is how long, right? This is an, I love the Bible is just so honest. Here, here's the prayer. This is what it sounds like. Let me show you what it sounds like. Here's what this prayer sounds like. God, how long do I have to keep going to the doctor before someone can tell me what's going on? It's just, it's just like so honest. It's, it's hard to say out loud. How long do me and the wife have to go to counseling that makes no difference in our marriage? How long do I have to be single because my biological clock is ticking and I'd like to be a mom and the window is closing? How long do I have to live basically paycheck to paycheck? Or here's one, how long do I have to suffer with all of these desires that I wish I didn't have? He's crying out to God. Heard a story of a guy one time just getting angry and emotional with God. It's, imagine this, some of you work in the hospital. This wasn't at our hospital, but he, his son has cancer, he says. As he tells the story, he said, he's walking down the hallway, trying to process it, and he said, the, the elevator opens up, and he said, there's people in the elevator, but he didn't care. He crawled into the corner and cried out to God. 
It's like, that's, that, we'll talk about what's going on with Habakkuk, but there's a lot going on. And, he, and, and so he cries out, how long? Why? Because one of the things that makes suffering so terrible is the duration of it. So a friend of mine, this is a very horrible, sad story, but his dad became a quadriplegic in his 50s. So imagine, you know, you were able to walk and live a normal life for 50-some years, and then you become a quadriplegic, you know? His dad died about a year, year and a half ago, and I was at the funeral. We were talking about it, and um, one of the things he said was, man, my dad was a quadriplegic for 18 years. He said, you ever just sit, you ever sit for like too long? You ever just like been on an airplane and you're like, I just want to get up and go to the bathroom and walk? He's like, my dad sat for 18 years. His dad was a faithful Christian, but he said the hardest thing was not the intensity, but the duration of the suffering. The second thing we see here is he says, God, I'm, I'm, I'm calling and you're not hearing, and I'm crying out and you're not saving. Here's another thing that we just, part of this is like, this is, I, I hope, a maturing sermon for me, you know, for all of us is we're gonna, if we're gonna be strong Christians, if we're gonna make it through the ups and downs and struggles and sufferings of life, we're gonna have to learn how to deal with unanswered prayer. Amen. So if you don't have unanswered prayer, it's probably because you're not praying anything big, right? If the only thing you're praying for is traveling mercies, okay, then all of your prayers are being answered, unless you are a horrible driver, okay? <laughs> but other than that, like, right, in fact, we don't like to pray for certain things because if we pray for, right, have you ever had that person that's like, hey, listen, you know, I've got this horrible tumor and, you know, whatever, and will you pray for me? And you're like, do I pray for healing? Because what if it doesn't heal? Do I give them false hope? And so you do the double prayer. Lord, I pray you'd heal them, but if you don't, you know, I've done that many times. I pray you they accept your will, and right, we do the, the, kind of the safe prayer. I, I want you to know that if you're gonna be in a real Christian community that goes through hard you know, life, real life, you're going to have so many unanswered prayer requests and you're just gonna to have to go, all right, we're gonna walk through it together then. You know every middle schooler who's struggling with same-sex attraction is, and is in the church? Okay, so imagine a middle schooler who's struggling with SSA and he's in the church. Do you know what that is for a middle schooler? It is an unanswered prayer request. I promise you that he got on his knees before he told his parents if he's told his parents. And he said, something's wrong with me. And I'd like God, please take this away. We are all going to have certain, I guarantee if you ever had certain desires, God, take this desire away. You wake up the next morning, you're like, it's still here. You pray for, you know, for a husband, you're still single and you pray, you know, for a kid and you're still infertile and you pray to not be stressed about money all the time. You're still stressed about money all the time. It's very hard on people. And then you have to go, well, then you got to go, how does prayer work, right? Because you know, here's what happens. Sometimes you pray for things and, and God, God doesn't answer. You pray and God doesn't answer. You're like, okay. But then has this ever happened to you? I guess because I'm a pastor, this happens to me a lot. People come up to me and they say, well, will you pray for me? And I've gotten better. I normally say yes and let me pray for you right now. But I used to say yes, and then I'd forget to pray for them. And then, you know, if you ever done this, if you ever forget to pray for someone, but then they come back and they were real excited, like, hey, listen, remember when I told you about this, this, and this, and you prayed? It, it happened. And you're like, praise the Lord. <laughs> right? But if you're if you're honest, you're walking away going, I didn't pray, and it happened. So maybe things happen and you don't need to pray. Or sometimes we pray for things and they happen, but then like, you know, 
10, 20, 30, 40% of us goes, I think it would have happened if I didn't pray. Here's what we have. We have Habakkuk having an honest prayer, saying how long, crying out to God, but getting only unanswered prayer. Let me show you what happens next. Verse three. He says this. Why do you... Why do you make me see iniquity? He's going to mention six things that he's seeing that he doesn't want to see. Here's the first. Why do you make me see iniquity? That's a good question. We'll try to answer that. And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So let me just give you really quickly the spiritual condition of Israel at this time. Like America, it was in spiritual and then moral decline. And those are always the right order, or the order that happens. I mean, at first there's spiritual decline. Like I've told you before, we live in the greatest decline of Christianity in the history of our nation. And it's happening on our watch. Well, they were having the same thing. They were under the King Jeho- Jehoiakim at this time. And there was bad leadership in the church or the synagogues, uh, abusive, adulterous, apathetic, all those things. And then there was great moral decline in the nation. He's going to use a lot of words like violence. There's crime. There's lots of, he'll use the word later, injustice. The court system isn't working well. And then he says basically, which is an interesting question. He says, God, why do you let me see evil? Now, we know that we shouldn't do evil. That's The Bible says don't do evil, right? We shouldn't know evil by our own personal experience of doing it. That's very clear. Um, but yet God allows us to see evil things. Why? Well, one, so hopefully we won't be naive, right? You want, like by the time you, hopefully, by the time you send your kids to college, if you send your kids to college, you know, you'd, you'd like them to try to be innocent, but not naive. And innocent means I know evil, but I'm not going to engage in it. But why would God let us see evil? Well, sometimes it's to warn us of where sin goes. It seems here with Habakkuk, it's, it's to call out of him a desire to do something about the evil that he sees. See, sometimes you just have to see it as, as horrible as it is, okay? Look, guys, I, I was, I was uh, I, I've been, I'm sure many of you have, I've been to the Holocaust Museum in D.C., and that's an experience, okay? Many of you have done that. I'll tell you what's an experience of experiences, going to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. When, ev- when every tour guide around you is Jewish and speaking in Hebrew, and you go, why would, they, why would they remember such horrible things? Why would they put the pictures up there? Why would they leave the kids' shoes like that? You know what I'm talking about? You see these things, and you go, so that we would never forget. I don't know if you've ever heard of Emmett Till. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy. I think this happened in Mississippi during the Civil Rights time. And he looked at a white woman the way that he shouldn't have, according to them. Well, they, they confessed this later, they abducted him, they tortured him, they lynched him. And why am I telling you this story? Because when they finally, when his mother saw the body, she was completely overwhelmed, and they had said, let's do a, let's just do a private funeral, and let's do a closed casket. And Emmett Till's mom is a boss, Okay. And she said, nope, we're doing an open casket and a public funeral. Amen. Tens and tens of thousands of people came. Pictures of Emmett's 
broken body were put in newspapers and it was one of the key moments in the civil rights movement because people had never seen the evil of racism. I can remember the first time that I went to abort73.com, okay? This was years and years ago. And they show you, I don't know if they still do, they show you on that website what an aborted baby looks like. And again, age appropriate and all this, but I'm just telling you, when you see the evil of these things, it wakes you up. So he says, okay, he says, okay, so why do you let me see this? But then look what he says here. He says two last things. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. He's like, basically, have you ever felt this way? God, nobody's doing what you're saying we should do. You know, it's like, all right, you say love your enemies, but God, everybody hates everybody and there's cancel culture, right? You're like, you say be sexually pure and everyone's sexually promiscuous. You say be generous and everybody's selfish and stingy. You say forgive and, and everybody's resentful and revengeful. Like he's just, he's, and he says your law, it's an interesting illustration because your law is paralyzed. What does it mean to be paralyzed? Well, something that used to work doesn't work at all. But then he says this, look at this. There's a second thing he says. For the wicked, so the first thing he says is, God, your word's not working. The second thing he says is the wicked are winning. Look here, verse five. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. He's looking around in his society, he's like, God, are you, I mean, this is, and I could give you the background for Israel, but it's more important for us to even think about what's happening today. But he, I think if Habakkuk was here today, he'd cry out to God and say, God, they're killing babies in the womb. God, they're, they're celebrating sin and they're having parades for things they should be having funerals for. He's, God, they're, they're trafficking young children all over the world to be sexually abused. God, they're doing transgender surgery on young boys and girls. And you're just like, right? I mean, you see some of these things around the world and you're like, God, how, how do we... How do we, and this is a genuine question, like how, do, how does a good, loving, all-powerful God allow all that stuff to happen? So that, that's Habakkuk's question. Now in verse five, we finally see God's answer. Let me show you this. <clears throat> he says this. this is, God starts to speak in verse five. Look among the nations and see. So basically, Habakkuk says to God, look, and God says back to uh, Habakkuk, no, I need you to look at something. And he says this. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. Here it is, look at this. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Basically, God's like, all right, Habakkuk, I hope you're sitting down. Because I'm about to tell you what I'm doing in the world and it's gonna shock you. So one of the main things about Habakkuk is, this is, this is if you really get this, I think you're gonna be shocked and bothered by this. God is often at work in the world in ways that we do not see and we do not like. But here, let me show you how prayer works. This is how prayer works when God's working. The first prayer goes like this. God, how long are you gonna do nothing? And then God starts to do something in your marriage or your family or something, and then you go, I, God, I don't want you to answer the prayer that way. I want you to, right? Yes, Lord, I want you to save my prodigal son, but I didn't know that you were gonna do it through a divorce. That's what we're talking about. God, I wanted you to bring my dad to Christ, but I, not, not through financial bankruptcy. 
They're getting old. And we struggle with God's means because here's what God says. So if, you're, if you've never read Habakkuk before and you're just reading this so far, basically, here's how it goes. Habakkuk goes, God, Israel, your people, they're in a horrible situation. They're being sinful. We, the government's corrupt. Are you gonna do anything about this? And then God says, I'm gonna do something about it. So Habakkuk's like, well, thank God, okay. And then look what he says. Look at verse six, you gotta see this. For behold, that means look again. That means like, really look. For behold, here it is. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Okay, that's the Babylonians, same people. This is the worst enemy that God's people have. He says this. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. In other words, God's like, I know how bad they are. Who march through the breadth of the earth to see his dwellings not their own. So basically, here's how it goes. Habakkuk says, God, the world is sinful and corrupt and you're not doing anything about it. And God says, I'm doing something about it. Oh, thank God. I'm gonna bring the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to destroy you. It's like, God, that's not the prayer I was praying. God is using, this is, this is so, I gotta just show you it, then we'll talk about it for a little bit. Look here, verse seven. God, basically, God just spends some time basically saying to Habakkuk, I know how bad they are. Oh, I know how horrible they are. Watch. They are dreaded, verse seven, and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. In other words, I know they got a great military. They all come for violence and all their faces forward. They gather captives like the sand. Like I, they love to kidnap people and take hostages, is what he's saying. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, and they pile up earth and take it. Look at this. This is interesting. Verse 11. They sweep by the, then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose might is their God. In other words, he says they have, they, I know they have false gods. Here's what he's saying. There are the Babylonians. He's going to tell us what's going to, and it ends up happening to the people. He says, here's what's going to happen. The Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to destroy God's people. And they're going to think it was their gods that led them to do it. So here's what God's saying. I use ungodly people who don't even know I'm using them to accomplish my purposes. Amen. Now that, that hurts, your, it hurts my brain. So you have to ask a couple of things. Okay, well, what is God's goal? Well, unfortunately for us, it's not our personal happiness and personal safety. Right. I mean, I wish that, that would be a, it's like, God, could you reconsider? That'd be a great goal. My personal happiness and safety. Um, God's goal, I'm gonna try to explain this. This is very deep. Uh, God's goal is to glorify himself and save sinners. Um, and so God occasionally allows evil things to happen for greater purposes. Maybe think, think of it this way. God allows things he does not desire to happen because there's something greater he desires. Amen. So he, let's, let's think about this for a second. We all know this is true because all of us, if we look through the rearview mirror of our life, not the windshield, you can never see through the windshield rightly, but if you look through the rearview mirror of your life, you'll, look, you'll see some horrible thing that happened. But given enough time, you can usually see the hand of God in it. I'll give you an example. 
I could have given many examples, but I'm just like, here's an example from this week. So this week I was with a group of pastors for a couple days and we're getting to know each other. We're all about the same age. And I'm getting to know the one guy and I really like him. He's just a great guy. He's leading a church in Denver, Colorado. And we're sitting in the back of a car one of our final nights. And he says, I just finally asked him. I hadn't asked him this. I said, how'd you, come to, how'd you become a Christian? And he said, oh man, it's a crazy story. He said, I got a brother. He's two years younger than me. He says, when, uh, when I was four and he was two, he went into a coma. I was like, dude, this is so horrible. He's like, yeah, he went into a coma. He came out of it several days later, but because of that, he's never been the same. He's been disabled, um, and he still, to this day, has seizures multiple days a week, and he lives with my parents. And he said, I'll tell you the craziest thing, Kyle. He said, he said my, when my... Before my two-year-old brother, when he was two, before my brother was two and had gotten a coma, my parents were godless and they were worldly and they were arrogant. He said, and when my brother got, you can imagine, when my brother got in that coma, my dad gave his life to Christ. He said, I saw my dad become a Christian when I was four years old. He said, and because my dad became a Christian, my mom became a Christian. Because my mom and my dad were Christians, I became a Christian. He says, and then he says, it's the craziest thing. He just started talking about it. He says, Kyle, every time I see a person with disabilities, I'm drawn to them. He said, in a lot of situations, I start crying when I see them. And I have to control myself not to be too excited to engage them. But then as he said, he said, I still wish that it never happened to my brother. Because he's disabled. But he said, it's, it's what God used to change my whole family, call me into ministry and give me heart for the disabled. And that's what we're talking, that's the mystery. The clearest picture of this is Jesus, right? It's like, okay, Kyle, prove to me that God uses, you know, even evil things for good purposes. You know, exhibit A, the cross of Jesus Christ. The worst thing happening to the best person, literally, to be Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, is rejected He's beaten, he's crucified, and it is the worst event in human history, the death of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That brings the greatest result in human history, the salvation of sinners all over the world. So the the mystery of God using evil for good purposes is literally at the center of our faith. Okay, so let me show you this. So he's praying all these things, God, 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 God speaks back to him, but then look at verse 12. He has more questions, look, which is, which is fine. He's even more confused, and some of you are like, maybe feeling like right now, you're like, this sermon isn't helpful. I'm more confused. I want, I want to show you this. Look at this. He's trying to figure it out. Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting? Like, God, haven't you been around, like, forever? You're really old. You, you should be really wise. Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. Now, here's a couple principles when you're wrestling with God and suffering. You have to remind yourself of who God is. It's very hard, but he he uses six different words, some repeated, to talk about who God is. Look, he says, we shall not die, O Lord. Second time he says that, verse 12. You have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Verse 13. And he processes his pain in prayer. I'll show you this, verse 13. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil 
and cannot look at wrong. So he's like, that's who you are. Verse 13, beginning of it. This is who you are. You've got pure eyes. But then he says this. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So I, I, Habakkuk is modeling what lament looks like. He's modeling what wrestling with God looks like. He's modeling what trusting, trusting in God looks like. It's something like this. You, you, you get to this place where you say, God, you are dot, 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 but here's what I'm experiencing. God, you are the provider, Lord. I know that's true, but we don't have any money. God, you are the, the person who transforms desires, but I've got the same horrible desires. You know, God, you, you, you are the God of life, but we can't get pregnant, right? He's like, God, I don't understand it. God, you're a good God, and you say marriage is a good thing, and he who finds a wife finds favor from the Lord, but I'm still single. God, you love to save sinners, but my dad or my mom or my brother or my sister's not a Christian, and you just wrestle with it. You're like, God, this is who you say you are, and I believe it, but this is my current experience, which leads, this is interesting, and this is why you'll need to come back for the next two weeks, because in verses 13 through 16, it's kind of sad. If you read this this week, you might have been like, man, this is a confusing book. And, and I'll, just, I'll read it to you in a second, but basically, uh, let me just tell you what he's gonna say and then I'll read it to you. In verses 13 through 16, he basically says, God, I feel like I'm, I'm just a fish in the water and I never know you're up above the water and I never know what net you're gonna use to catch me and where you're gonna take me next. And ba- we, you know, we live in a, a time where we can control so many things. But he kind of ends going, God, okay, I see what the world is doing. I see how you're responding. And I just feel hopeless and helpless. And so here's how he ends. You make mankind, that's you and me, like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. It's like, are you going to catch me or not? That's what he's saying. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. And then he says this. He ends, this chapter ends with a question, which is why we'll have to come back next week. Here's the final question. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? In other words, he ends with, with, when you're at your lowest point, you know, you'll ask something like he asks here, which is why we'll need next week. But basically he says this, God, how bad's it gonna get? How long's it gonna last? Whenever you get the diagnosis, right? That's when it's like, all right, how bad is this gonna get? And, and how long is this gonna last? What, what we've seen today is how doubt works. There's always three stages to doubt. You have a difficult situation. This is an anatomy of doubt, you could say. You have a difficult situation. It might be in your marriage, right? And at first, you're like, you pray about it, you read a book about it, you go to counseling, and and what happens with a difficult situation you can deal with, what you can't deal with is a difficult situation with continually unmet expectations. Right? You had a hard marriage, but you're like, by year 10, we'll figure it out, and you don't figure it out. You're like, this is horrible. I had a difficult situation and I had an unmet expectation, but this is what you have to admit with doubt. I have a limited perception. I don't see everything. Sometimes we need each other to see things. We obviously need God's word to see things. In fact, 
the way that we want to end today, if, if, if you've got a, a second, is just to grab that card, and no one's going to be looking at yours. They're going to be focusing on their own. But if you'll grab that card, we just want to give you, we want this to be real. Like, where do you need to trust God? Because here, here's what trusting God means. Okay, we, we said we're going to trust God together. <clears throat> um, yes, there's God's word. That's the foundation of our trust. But you have to say, okay, here, here's what I'm committed to, Lord. I want you, I'm asking you to answer this prayer, but here it is. I'm asking you, I'm submitting to two things, for you to answer it in your way and for you to answer it in your timing. That's the hardest thing. It's like, God, I need you to restore my marriage, Lord, and, and, and you know what? I'm submitting. I'm submitting to your timeline for it. I want to microwave it, but you may want to marinate it. Like, God, I need you to work in my kid's life, okay? And here's, here's the prayer, but I'm submitting to your timing. And then there's a little scarier thing, and I'm, I'm submitting to your way. I don't know what you're gonna use to get my attention or somebody else. I don't know what's gotta happen in our marriage. I don't know what's gotta happen at my work. I don't know what needs to happen in my friend's life for them to come to Christ, but I'm committed to two things, your way and your timing. Here's the prayer we're gonna pray in just a minute. We're gonna pray this. This is the prayer. God, would you show up and would you show off? That's what we're asking. Lord, we just, we feel like you're, the great question that, that Habakkuk had to go is, God, are you absent from here? Are you indifferent? Are you inconsistent? Are you incompetent? And he hears God's response and he's like, all right, God, now I need you to show up and I need you to show off. Let's, let's, let's pray that together. Lord, would you, across this room, people wrote down, some people wrote down a name. They wrote a name down. A friend, a family member, a coworker. Some people, you know, it's something real sensitive. They maybe didn't even feel like they could write it down. They, they, they kind of, symbolically wrote something or they use an acronym, Lord. Some people, they just, they know it's marriage. Lord, for some people, it's health. A lot of us, it's our kids. Lord, we wanna trust you together. We want the church to be the safest and best place for anyone to deal with their doubts and their disappointments. That no one has to leave here because they're having doubts and they're having disappointments, Lord. As we sing the promises of God, in a few minutes here, I pray, if you need prayer, we just, we've got elders and prayer team on, on my right and on my left, and they just, you, if you just wanna come down and say, I'm struggling to trust God in this area, would you trust God with me? That's what we're gonna do together. Lord, would you do this, Lord? Lord Jesus, we know that you, in the Garden of Gethsemane, <laughs> you had to wait, and you had to say, is this the only way? And is this your timing? And the answer was yes. And we thank you, Lord. We celebrate at the cross of Christ that even through the most evil events, the best things can happen. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.